I think about a hundred, a uh, hundred fifty. You feel that you feel more, much more comfortable. I wouldn't start uh, the difficult lesion in terms of like scar, scar lesion or seagull lesion before my first uh, 50. Sometimes you look at how people do it looks easy, but when you do it, it's not that easy. So be very important to be selective of your case, particularly when you first start. The first 30, 50, be careful. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Endocast. I'm your host, Leslie Bishop, and this is episode 18 with our physician guest, Sawani Nam Ruinfong from Johns Hopkins Hospital. Endocast is a GI-focused podcast for clinicians by clinicians presented to you by Boston Scientific. Together, we'll take a closer look at the data, techniques, and insights of endoscopy that matter most to listeners like you. Dr. Nam, welcome to Endocast. Thank you for having me, Leslie. I'm uh, super excited to learn from you, to learn about ESD. I know you've been speaking at DDW on this topic. And before we do that, though, I just wanted to hear about your journey in endoscopy. So maybe you could share why you went into medicine, why you went into endoscopy, even why you went into third space. So when I was in the university, at, at that time, I actually didn't quite know what I want to do. But um, my parent told me that being a doctor is a good uh, occupation. And I think, hmm. Uh, I spent some time in the hospital, like volunteer, and I find that uh, I like helping people. So I decided to go to medicine. Okay, graduate from medical school in Thailand. Then I came to the U.S., did my uh, residency uh, in Texas, and GI fellowship in Florida at Mayo Clinic Florida. And, uh, in Jacksonville, which, yeah, is, in where Jacksonville, I, which yes. is where I live, yeah. Yes, and uh, advanced fellowship at Hopkins. So during the advanced fellowship, at that time I tried to think about what kind of um, subspecialty in advanced endoscopy that I want to focus on. Even though I perform all kinds of endoscopic, advanced endoscopic procedures, but in acadi- academia, you need to have the niche. Like yeah. You have to uh, build that. So, uh, and if I removing tumor cancer for the patients, prevent them from needing surgery, is really uh, fulfilling to me. I feel good that they get better from what I can do to help them. Uh, so I decided to spend some time in Japan to learn more of this uh, advanced resection because at that time there's very limited uh, experience uh, with ESD uh, during my training. And even people in the, U- in the US, there are not many people doing it. So I decided to spend some time at several hospitals in Japan. And I learned a bunch from visual uh, recognition, detection, classification, and procedure itself. And I'm thankful for my mentors who support me to go there and uh, my mentor in Japan who uh, teach us. And that's how I start. And once I learn, uh, it's not enough to come back and do it. Uh, so I'm, I did not do procedure in the patient over there, but learn from how they think, how they approach patient, practice in uh, the animal lab, and then uh, come back. I have to continue doing it here uh, to otherwise um, you will forget that the skills, how to move things, how to move your body, how to move the scope. Long answer. So no, go <laughs> yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, but when, when we first start, we don't have that many patients. Although I know a lot of patients will be eligible, but I have to be selective of what kind of patients I'm going to start my first ESD. I will not start in like 
10 centimeter relation uh, in the colon. So we have to be strategic about it. Otherwise, we can make uh, cause a lot of problem. Where sometimes, while I'm not having pa patience, I continue to practice in the lab to keep up my skills. At least two, uh, I have to do at least two to three ESD in the pig stomach a, a month to uh, keep up my skills. This is after you went to training? Yeah. I will come back I, when I don't have enough kids to really do every week. Uh, I don't want to like not doing for two, three months and then have another case. Yeah. It's not that we don't have patient, but I don't want to start at the like, difficult case. So it's just go slow. <laughs> so how long do you think it took before you felt proficient? Because one of the doctors I talked to said she went to six months of training. I think it was in Japan. I think it's where she went where maybe three months she was observing and then three months she was working on patients and 10 weeks seems quite short. So how long did it take you before you felt really, really proficient? After 100 cases, I still continue to learn from <laughs> every case I, I do. Because when I finish, um, I could have done something different and maybe it's finished faster. <laughs> uh, but I think about 100, uh, 150, you feel that you feel more, much more comfortable. I wouldn't start uh, the difficult lesion in terms of like scar, le scar lesion or seagull lesion before my first uh, 50. Sometimes you look at how people do, it looks easy, but when you do it, it's not that easy. So be very important to be selective of your case, particularly when you first start. The first 30, 50, be careful, yep. You can see why this is such a sl slow to adopt in mm -hmm. the United States with that level of a learning curve and so few doctors in the United States to train anybody. I guess that's growing now. Yes, yes. More and more A lot more, doctors. more people are doing it. Yeah. 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 And you don't, in the past, you have to go to Japan. Now, it's much easier to find physicians to teach you to do the procedure. So I, I believe that it will become much more widespread use in the U.S. So is this the main focus of your practice, is doing ESD? So I would say not just um, they refer patients who have uh, this condition. So then we work with the onco oncology team, a surgery team. Uh, what would be the best for them? Some patients come to see me because they need EUS staging. Some people come in and say, oh, they found this nodule. Then we have to work that up, what it is. Maybe some of these nodules, we don't even have to remove them. Then we don't do that. We do ultrasound, follow-up. Some of these need just EMR. Uh, so we kind of like GI oncology, what do you call it? Oncology GI, sorry. I'm not sure how, that's a term that, there's a uh, GI cancer doctor that um, deal with a lot of cancer or patient with GI tumors. But when then we decide whether they need ESD or maybe they need full thickness resection or they need something else. All right, just stepping back, how do you, how do you define third space endoscopy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the other name of this is uh, submucosal endoscopy, uh, which uh, you create space between mucosa and the muscle layer in order to um, perform the procedure you need. For example, if it's ESD, you create a tunnel underneath the mucosa and you want to remove the mucosa with the tumor. If the aim of the procedure is to perform myotomy, then that's a poem. So that's also the third space. Or if you want to create space to reach the tumor within the 
arise from the muscle layer to reject it, that's called stir. So there are many variations of the third space, but basically it's a sub submucosal endoscopy. And then what are the different indications for ESD throughout the GI tract? The general indication is for uh, lesions that has a low risk of lymph node or distant metastasis. Because when you remove the tumor from the GI wall, we don't address uh, lymph node status. So it cannot be the advanced cancer. That's one. Two is it can be a benign precancerous or it can be superficial cancer. Three is a lot of uh, patients that have prior procedure and then the tumor grow back and it's become very hard to remove the recurrent uh, lesions, then we can also perform ESD. This is in general that apply to all GI tracts. And so where do you see the value of ESD compared to other tissue resection like EMR and other things? Mm -hmm. I think it has its own place. Uh, like for example, I told you about when w I would consider ESD. Basically, because it takes longer and more difficult to do, not not widely available. Therefore, uh, we usually preserve for patients that we think are going to benefit the most. For example, the patient that uh, has the high-risk lesion, we suspect that might have uh, superficial cancer. This would be the case that better if we can perform on-block resection, which can be EMR if the lesion is small. But for larger lesion, then we need to perform ESD. So I think it's complementary. Uh, if it's cancer, usually we attempt ESD. If it's benign, like colon polyps, not that large, EMR usually uh, uh, adequate. For full thickness resection, it depends on like what indication uh, to do full thickness resection. If it's uh, for the, like for example, non-lifting lesion uh, in the colon, which is common indication for FTRD, there are many options for those. Uh, you can do modified EMR technique. Uh, you can do ESD, you can do full thickness. It depends on several factors, uh, patient anatomy, uh, how long is the scar, locations. But some of these uh, lesions can be managed by different techniques. Mm -hmm. And then what, what is your thinking in terms of when you decide to do an EMR or when to decide to do an ESD or when they need to be sent out for surgery? Mm -hmm. What's your thought process on that? Yeah, so if the lesion has appearance, endoscopic uh, features, or even biopsy that show deep invasive cancer, like we can tell from how it looks that this is deep invasive cancer. Or if the lesion, like you see mass in the colon and the CT scan show lymph node uh, enlargement or liver masses that probably metastasis, then we wouldn't be doing endoscopic resection. The lesion uh, that we suspect that might have superficial invasive cancer, that's when we will do uh, ESD, which sometimes is not that easy to predict. So the Japanese uh, colleagues, they recommend that for lesion that you suspect intramucosal cancer, you all should also attempt uh, ESD because we cannot be 100% by our eyes to, the <laughs> to uh, estimate depth of tumor invasion. But for the benign lesion, like for example, serrated polyp that uh, doesn't have any dysplastic change, uh, EMR is usually okay because it's quick, safe, and very low risk procedure. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to talk about getting referrals because I know the doctor can send you a patient that's easier to perform ESD or they can do some things that make it a little bit more challenging. So maybe you could talk on the positive side what they can do when they're referring the patient to make it a more optimal case, and then maybe mm -hmm. on the 
more negative side, like what things they might need to stop doing mm-hmm. if they're doing yes. too many tattoos or whatever. Mm-hmm. I tell my fellows, okay, when you go out in your practice, when first before you start biopsy, spend a couple of seconds at least, look at the lesion and think about what it is. So basically, um, visual diagnosis, endoscopic uh, assessment, because then it kind of guide you what you should do. So if it looks like high risk for submucosal invasive cancer, you don't have to, actually you don't have, I'm talking about in the colon. If you really unsure, you can do uh, limited biopsy, but if otherwise you don't have to biopsy, you can place tattoo away from the lesion, about like five centimeter away, so that the tattoo doesn't like spread to the lesion later on and uh, refer, right? But if during the examination, that's a features of deep invasive cancer, you do a lot of biopsy because you want to confirm and you also tattoo. So what will make you decide what, what will make you decide what to action to do during your procedure is what you think it is, your endoscopic diagnosis. So learn that and uh, when you uh, see this lesion, if it's look you look quite confident that this is benign. Uh, then you uh, go ahead and tattoo, uh, and again, not near the lesion, and uh, make sure that you document clearly uh, about the lesion, size, where it is, and a lot of image, uh, like good image on it. Near um, close view, far view, NBI, um, that's actually very helpful when we get referral and we decide what to do with it. Because sometimes we see the picture, oh, this is cancer. <laughs> like you don't have to bring the patient just to tattoo it. Uh, like you don't have to, right? So and it's help planning. Like when I see, like uh, see the lesion, like oh, this area look like could be um, invasion there, could be submucosal invasion here. So we cannot decide ESD. Sometimes this I always ask for uh, colored uh, pictures from the procedure before I schedule. If it look like oh, look quite benign, then I just schedule uh, e- EMR. So clearly document the lesion and take a lot of photographs. If you tattoo, make sure you like you, you say in your note where you tattoo from the lesion. You tattoo proximal, distal, and take picture to confirm the location. And so very hard is that uh, if this is an endoscopically resectable lesion and you perform any uh, intervention that creates scar on it. Whether it's like multiple, multiple biopsies, uh, tattoo near the lesion, near or at the lesion, or some people even snare, saying that, oh, you snare to get a big piece of biopsy, but that can lead to fibrosis, uh, particularly the flat lesion. If it's like a sessile lesion, bulky lesion, it does usually doesn't cause fibrosis for that, but the flat lesion, once you biopsy, the, it, the scar will form at the base. So yeah, avoid this action. Uh, that would be very helpful and it will make the procedure much easier for us. Yes, yes. Um, what is your advice? If somebody's listening and they really want to start doing ESD, what would you suggest to them? Yeah, if someone have, uh, okay, I want to learn ESD, it really need commitment to do it. Because it's not something you go to the course a couple of times, spend a couple of months, and you can do. It's not like that. If you really committed to do, it takes several years, several years to be able to do it. 
even uh, we have the fellows, our fellowship is two years. Uh, toward the end of the second year, they like m a little bit more comfortable to do the small lesion. But if you committed to do, then you have to spend, like you have to think about spend time, learn about how to right, endoscopic assessment, learn about management of the disease that ESD will use it for. Otherwise, we will not know when we should apply this uh, technique to. Then if you, okay, that passed, you already know indication. First, uh, go to the course. This is, for me, I think it's very important because you have to have interaction with people who can do it. If at your institution, doesn't have anyone perform and you you will not be able to like learn from them. You need to go out. The course, there are several courses like ASGE, Boston, uh, Scientific also have the course that uh, hands-on. The, the mainly is through the hands-on part because you really learn how to move the scope. This is the new skills in learning how to control the scope that you don't learn by like doing EMR, ERCPs, difference. So go to the course and watch a lot of uh, live demonstrations. See how they move their hands, uh, the technique, how they, when they cut, where to cut first, um, how they avoid complications, and so on. Once you have enough hands-on uh, experience, probably have to take some time when you start to think, okay, I'm ready to do in the patient, uh, get proctor. So <laughs> I think if it's available, it's very helpful because when you first start, a lot of unexpected things can happen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so get proctor, it, I think it's safer. Uh, during, like you can schedule several, several cases in a day, and um, I mean two or three cases, and then have someone who experienced, who you maybe have uh, trained with, to come and watch you, who can guide you. Because uh, sometimes I ask uh, the fellow, no, you have to go inside the flap, move the flap away to expose submucosa, and then they like couldn't do it. So sometimes we have to like help. I'm, I'm not sure that uh, it's available everywhere, but get proctor would be helpful. You have to continue to learn. Like when you do, what, what happened is when I start doing, I feel mm, I have difficulty here. Now I go back to watch the video. I, watch, I record a video of my procedure because sometimes I go back to look Hey, why there was a bleeding? Did I, why did I didn't see that blood vessels? There's a superficial muscle burn there. When did my knife touch that area? Like, I have to go back and look at it. And then I learn from my own experience. That's actually amazing. Do you still record every case that you do? Yeah, if I don't forget, I do. And you, do you still go back and review them or only if something goes wrong so you can review what went wrong? Yeah, uh, in, initially I go back more frequent than I am now. I go back now when I feel that what ha happened at that time that this another thing happened. So not uh, frequent now, but I want to have when things happen, like when I give it to the fellow and oh, why, why there's a muscle uh, burn here? <laughs> when did that happen? We go back to the look at the video. Oh, your knife was a little bit too deep. Okay, I, I look at the video with the fellow and okay, next time we have to be careful here. I think that's an amazing idea. My husband was a college gymnast, and I, this is a common thing to do in all sports, but they would video mm -hmm. their practices, and then they would go back and watch, and they could get so much better because they could see mm -hmm. where, they, where they had errors. And, mm -hmm. and so that's, I've never heard of that technique with, with um, endoscopy, but it makes a lot of sense, yeah. actually. The reason I do is that because uh, when I was in Japan at National Cancer Center, they record all cases. And then do they do the same thing, and then they review them? 
Uh, I they, I know they review them, but I don't know how often they do. That's why they record it. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Indocast. Please subscribe to the podcast and follow Boston Scientific Endoscopy on our Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn feeds. You can also visit our virtual education platform, EduCare. That's E-D-U-C-A-R-E dot bostonscientific.com and choose gastroenterology. The site features over 180 resources, including physician-led educational videos, lectures, case studies, device training videos, procedural tips, and techniques. Thanks for listening. Endocast listeners, an important disclaimer. These materials are intended to describe common clinical considerations and procedural steps for the use of reference technologies, but may not be appropriate for every case or patient. Decisions surrounding patient care depend on the physician's professional judgment in consideration of all available information for the individual case. Boston Scientific does not promote or encourage the use of its devices outside of their approved labeling. Case studies are not necessarily representative of clinical outcomes in all cases as individual results may vary. Thank you.